And so Psalm 18 is going to be our our text for this morning. I welcome you to turn there and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just as you feed us with the Lord's Supper each week and remind our souls, we thank you for your word and repeatedly speaking to us from it. Pray that you would now own your preached word, that you would bring it to bear on our hearts and you would transform us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be reading um, several several passages uh, out of Psalm 18, not the whole thing. Verse 1 through 3, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Verse 18, They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Verse 31, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Verse 49, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation He brings to His King and shows steadfast love to His anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Did you ever, as you're reading through the Psalms, read a Psalm and feel like it's just too big for you? And and I'm not talking about because it's 50 verses and it's really hard to fit that into your rushed quiet time. I mean that the, the one of the things we love about the Psalms is how they they meet us where we are and express the cry of our souls. Uh, we have cries of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have cries of joy. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. We have cries that capture our internal struggle. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And then we come to a psalm like this. And it seems to be written in a different key. The song, this song is way out of our range. We can't sing this. It's way out of what we can relate to. In America, we don't have people trying to kill us, most of us. We have a broken dishwasher and a really, really, really full week and a kid driving us crazy. But it's not just the enemies here. This psalm is ratcheted up at every level. We have the pyrotechnics of God's dramatic entrance in verses 7 through 15. I'll read verse 9. He bowed the heavens and came down. 
Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. We have an appeal to blamelessness in, in, uh, as the grounds for this ref, ref, rescue in verses 20 um, and following. So I'll read verse 24. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in His sight. We're struggling to keep up with David here. And then we have some Avenger level feats of strength in verses 28 to 45. Verse 29 says, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. And I have, as I think about this psalm, this picture in my head throughout the week of something probably most of us with kids have experienced at some point where your little kid, like four years old, comes in and he's like, Look, Daddy! And he or she is wearing your clothes and they're swimming in them. I'm you. The clothes don't seem to fit. And some of you are wanting to say, well, that's because they're not supposed to fit. You're not David. And that's true. In fact, at one level, we could read this psalm and say, David isn't even David. This psalm, and many like it, will not reach its final fulfillment at every point until David's greater son reads these words, words like in 43, You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People I had not known served me. That is going to be fulfilled in Jesus. So says 1 Corinthians 15.24. It says, Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. One of the big important things we need to know about the Old Testament and about the Psalms is they're all about Jesus. Having said that, the way that the Old Testament Scriptures point to Jesus is varied. There's lots of ways it points to Jesus. And we don't want to use a biblical theology or a systematic theology to just flatten the whole landscape of the Scriptures. It's too hasty to read verse 23 here in our psalm. I was blameless before Him and I kept myself from my guilt. And say, well, we know that all men are sinners and the man speaking here claims to be blameless. Ergo, this must be Jesus. The Lord Jesus is not honored by sloppy hermeneutics. Okay? We'll get into next week, I believe Scott will be preaching on another royal psalm and looking at that. But this morning, I want to observe the simple fact that David wrote these words. It says right here in the prescript to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, 
David wrote this story. He wrote this psalm at the end of his life, towards the end. We find it recorded, actually, first in 2 Samuel chapter 22, right before a chapter that says, these are the last words of David. And so while we can appreciate the way the Holy Spirit was superintending the writing of this psalm so that many expressions point us forward to Jesus, we also understand that David was testifying from his own experience. This is his story. And as David tells his story, we learn something about ours. And that's important because the stories that we tell ourselves shape us. They shape our identity, our expectations, and our focus. If you tell yourself, I am unsafe, I am unclean, I am unable, you will be paralyzed by fear. On the other hand, merely inserting some positive thinking leads us to pride and presumption. The problem with both of these approaches is they're basically rooted in self. And this morning, in this psalm of praise, we see a third way. A way not rooted in self, but rooted in the saving work of God. David's praise here in Psalm 18 gives us a framework for understanding our stories. A framework of faith to say, because I am in Jesus Christ, I am safe, I am clean. I am able. Some scholars would quibble over my calling it a psalm of praise. They would say, no, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. And just so you know, the difference is that psalms of thanksgiving commonly focus on specific deliverances. Psalms of praise often focus on the attributes of God and lifting up praise for those, whereas psalms of thanksgiving are saying, God, you came through for me right here. Well, this is a little bit of both. Certainly, David is recounting deliverance, but it's not just one. It's a whole lifetime and more. David's concern here seems to be to inspire, to express and inspire praise. He leads off with that when in verse 3 he says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And then at the end in verse 49, he's saying, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. So he wants us to praise. David wants the nations, which includes us, to join him in praising Yahweh. With this psalm, he calls us to a fresh appreciation of our stories as joining in the long history of God's saving work towards his people. In Jesus, we have confidence that we have God's protection. We have God's perfection. And we have God's empowerment. Which means that in Jesus, we are safe. We are clean. And we are able. So that's what we're going to look at. First, this first thing we can say is, I am safe. If you are in Christ, your story, like David's, is one of God's protection. Your story is one that says, I am safe. These first verses, in these first 19 verses, are an expansion on a justification of David's confession of his faith right there at the beginning. Verse 2, he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. 
One of the stories we tell ourselves is, I am in danger. I am at risk. It's behind our fear, our anxiety, our frantic busyness, and sometimes our anger when somebody gets in the way of my pursuit of safety. And David knew the danger in our world better than we do. He had lived most of his life with people wanting to kill him. Goliath tried to kill him. Saul tried to kill him. David's son Absalom tried to kill him. And these weren't distant threats. This was as close as Saul's army being right outside the cave David and his men were hiding in. This is as close as a spear quivering in the wall after David has escaped when Saul tried to spear him. This is as close as having to act insane before Achish, the king of Gath, so that David doesn't appear a threat. Oh, he's just a crazy man. He's no threat anymore. He used to be a great killer of Philistines, but now he's gone insane. He came down to the wire for David. In his last battle, a giant, who you wouldn't know, Ishbibinoab, he seized an opportunity when he saw David grow weary, and he would have killed him if it hadn't been for Abishai intervening. Which was actually, of course we know, the Lord intervening. But here in Psalm 18, David doesn't go into a lot of details telling about all this. He just repeats himself four times in verses 4 and 5. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In this time, repeating yourself was a way of emphasizing. Normally, they just repeat themselves twice. David does it four times. It's like what we would have done is wrote, I almost died, and we would underline it three times. But that's all we get. David doesn't go into a lot of details because the story is not his enemies. The story is not his dangers. The story is not his distress. These are just a stage for a story of God's saving power. The story of God's saving power, picking up in verse 7, when the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. David has called out to his God and God is coming. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under His feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness His covering and His canopy all around Him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before Him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered His voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and He scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Your nostrils. If you go back and read through First and Second Samuel, the story of David's life. You will find that no single story matches this. It doesn't match this psalm. Because this psalm is not just one story. It's not just one little snippet. 
Again, the preface says that this song is the one he wrote to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That wasn't one day. That was a life of rescue. When he wrote this, this is decades after the time of Saul. This psalm is not a snapshot of one rescue. It is, it's more like a scrapbook of divine deliverances. A whole lifetime. And actually, more than a lifetime. Much of the imagery that David uses in this psalm is actually pulled in from earlier Old Testament stories and poetry. We don't find earthquakes or fiery displays in David's battles. But we see both. When Yahweh manifests His glory to His people on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19.18 says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. We don't see strategic military hailstorms Striking his enemy in David's day. But we do in the day of Joshua. So Joshua 10 speaks of God throwing the combined armies of five Amorite kings into panic. And as they run, it says, verse 11, as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Or how about verse 15 in our psalm? Verse 15, Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. God snorts in indignation at the arrogance of Pharaoh and enemies like him, and he makes a way through the sea. So what does this have to do with David? Just this. David wants us to understand that his story is just part of a bigger story. A long history of God's saving work towards His chosen ones. This poem in Psalm 18 is not so much teaching us history as teaching us theology. David is not merely telling us something God did. He is telling us something God does. This is what God does because this is who God is. The Lord protects His people. He does it unstoppably. He will move heaven and earth to come through and protect His people. And these realities anchored David's identity and shaped his story. Though he was in danger often, he was never at risk. Friends, The same thing is true of you. You are safe. Second, we tell ourselves with David, I am clean. If you are in Christ, then you are a recipient not only of God's protection, but of His perfection. Your story with David says, I am clean. Look at verses 20 to 24. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He rewarded me. 
For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His rules were before me and His statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before Him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in His sight. If we were struggling to identify with David in the first half of the psalm, now he's just completely lost us. It seems David doesn't understand justification. And if you don't know that word, justification is an act of God's free grace whereby He pardons all our sins and accounted us as righteous in His sight, even for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us to be received by faith alone. Why can I rattle that off? Well, because Jim Oreck put the Baptist Catechism to music. And so I've got that music playing in my head. It's really hard for me to say it without singing it to you. You can find the Baptist Catechism on Spotify and other things. Jim Scott Oreck, look it up if you have kids. It's great to listen to. Your kids might hate it, but it'll be good for them. Justification. An act of God's free grace whereby He pardons all our sin. It's the way that sinners like us can be made right with a holy God. So why does David then appeal to his own righteousness? Why does he reference things that he has done and not done as the basis for God's favor? Did nobody tell him that we don't talk like this? Apparently not. If you read through the Psalms, you know this isn't a one-time hiccup. David makes similar claims in Psalm 7 and Psalm 17 and Psalm 26. In Psalm 7 verse 8, David says, The Lord judges the peoples. And then he gets cheeky. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. You prayed that recently? Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. That's scary. So what do we do with this? Well, there's a few things we can't do. We can't say that this was appropriate because David, as an Old Testament believer, was saved through the law. God's Word is very clear on this. Galatians 3.11 and Romans 2.20 basically say the same thing with the former saying, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Old Testament and New Testament believers alike were saved in the same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Second, we can't say that David wrote these things convinced he had never sinned. That would, in the language of 1 John, make him a liar. And it would directly contradict what he says in Psalm 143. In Psalm 143, in verse 2, David says, For no one living is righteous before you. Remember also that this psalm, Psalm 18, is written towards the end of his life, which means it was after his sin against Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah. This is a man who has known the guilt of Psalm 51 where he prays, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And third, so we can't, we can't say this was appropriate. We can't say David was just saying, thinking he was, had never sinned. We can't ignore this. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So this and similar Psalms like it are there for an important reason. So what is that? Why did God give us these verses? Why did the Spirit inspire David to speak repeatedly as if he didn't understand justification? The reason... God gave us these verses is because David understood justification better than we do. And now, we are in a privileged position. We have a clearer understanding of Jesus this side of the cross. And Paul has helped us develop a more systematic theology of imputation and justification. But David understood the thoroughness of justification. David understood this, that when God washes you, You are clean. When God removes your sin from you, it is gone. And this is the truth David celebrates in Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I love this psalm. I would have preached this, um, but I've got to insert it here. Uh, Psalm 103, starting picking up in verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Kids, how far is east from the west? Well, the guys who wrote this, they weren't thinking of a globe where eventually you reach the east from the west. No, that's the one direction. That's the other. It's infinite. That's how far He removes our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So is David, in our psalm, appealing to justification when he says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness? According to the cleanness of my hands, He has rewarded me? Yes and no. David is clearly appealing to his active righteousness, things he does. He says things like, I have kept the ways of the Lord. I've done those things. And I've not departed like the wicked. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. So I did those things. I was careful to follow the law. A Christian is eager to walk in obedience to Jesus. Not as the ground of his justification, but as a response to it and the evidence of it. All that obedience, however, would be meaningless if God was still tracking our sins. Because all of our obediences are mixed. We do them in weakness, we do them imperfectly. Which means that if we are apart from Christ, all they are is in the language of Isaiah 64.6. You Awana kids might know this. Filthy rags. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what they were. That's not what they are. God does not look, Christian, at your good works 
and say, disgusting. He looks at them and He is pleased. He looks at them and He sees works that He has washed. That He has done in us. Because God is the one who works, is at work to will and to work within us for His good pleasure. Your Father is pleased. I'm running out of time. Some of us believe in Jesus, but we live under the lie that I am unclean. Some of us live our Christian lives under a cloud of low-level guilt, convinced that God cannot look at us without being disgusted or at least disappointed. David is teaching us a different story. A story of God's righteousness. A story of God giving us perfection in Jesus and then perfecting us through the Spirit. A story that says, I am clean. Third, if you are in Christ, your story, like David's, is one of divine empowerment. Verse 31 says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. The rest of this psalm is a song of triumph as David recounts his victory over his enemies. Victory where he takes it as enemies. And in verse 38, I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. He said, you made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who rose up against me, you brought down beneath me. Some of us have forgotten the thrill of these stories that we had when we were younger. Because we're too busy now working out just war theory or how the covenants fit together. The point here that David is making is that David was given supernatural power to tackle the tasks that God had given him. David looked at impossible odds and he said, I can. And it's not mere positivism. It's not mere optimism. It is in the same vein as Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. David's praise here in our psalm, it answers the final lie, a final lie that tries to shape our stories. A lie that says, I am unable. I can't. I'm too weak. And like all the other lies, its power is that it's half true. You are human. You are limited. You are limited in time. You are limited in energy. You are limited in in mental capacity and emotional bandwidth. That's just who we are. Learning to admit our limitations, limitations like the need for sleep, is an important step in faith. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, In vain you rise up early and go late to bed toiling for food to eat, for the Lord grants sleep to those He loves. Rest if you can. God loves you. 
And, and that psalm doesn't mean that if you're struggling with insomnia, God doesn't love you. That's a trial. But, uh, but if you are staying up late because you think you need to keep the wheels of the world spinning, you don't. Get some sleep. The problem with I am unable is it's only half true. It is true that there are many things, many, many, many things that by yourself you can't do. But you are not by yourself. David is not celebrating his own strength or inner resourcefulness. He's celebrating a God who is incredibly strong, unstoppably strong. And David's God had given him a role. And that role had things to do. So he did them. And he took it for granted that God would equip him for what He called him to do. This is where I am unable is revealed to be faithless and rebellious. It tends to overgrow in our lives into a lot of areas where God is telling us to do stuff. God is telling us to do stuff and we say, I can't do that. Or maybe we say, like, I can't do that with joy. You can. I am unable is the reason that no other Israelite stepped forward to take on Goliath when he was insulting the armies of Yahweh. I am unable is the reason the wicked, slothful servant in Jesus' parable merely buried his talent. I am unable is the excuse for so much disobedience in the Scriptures and in our lives. In an attempt at authenticity, we have mainstreamed a Christian defeatism that sets the standards impossibly high and thinks God just scowls at us if we don't measure up and that we will never, never overcome certain sins. We will never make much progress in our spiritual disciplines and we will never get those three baskets of laundry taken care of. Now that may seem like a jump and a disappointing one to go from military conquest to laundry. But the reality is that God's empowerment is very calling specific. And you don't have the calling of David. There are many ways in which you are invited to identify with David and learn how to tell your story to yourself. But it's not that you are going to go and thrust your enemies through. Not physical enemies. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. For David as the king, his calling meant taking on the Philistines and other enemies of the nation of Israel. He was prefiguring Christ who would conquer all his enemies in a way that you are not called to. But you have a calling. And in your calling, you are to display Christ. And in your calling, you will face enemies. And in your calling, you will encounter obstacles. And in your calling, God will provide everything for your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. God will call some of you to take on tasks like going to the abortion centers and calling out to women not to kill their babies. God will call others of you to do a different task and serve as a deacon here at Rockport Baptist Church. God will call some of you to merely handle and endure a difficult physical trial. 
And in all of these, you've got an enemy of your soul that is trying to take you down. But God is going to give you the strength to stand against the enemy and ultimately in Jesus to see the victory over him. As you face trials, as you face temptations, God says of those enemies, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted will provide a way out. In all of your situations, you can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things that Christ is calling me to through Christ who gives me strength. Everything you are going to face this week that God in your role has placed you to do. Kids, that means in your schooling and in your obedience to your parents, even when you don't understand them. You can obey. You can take it even further and honor your father and mother for this is right. We have so many calling-specific tasks, calling-specific roles, and in all of them, we say, I can. So David, he tells us his story here. He tells us this story to inspire us to praise. And he wants us to know that God gives protection to His people. God gives perfection to His people. God will empower His people. So that David was able to face dangers without despair. He was able to claim innocence without arrogance. He was able to courageously tackle every task the Lord had given him to do. And we can too. With David, we can say, I am safe. I am clean. I am able. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. I am safe. I am clean and I am able. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the awesome demonstration of Your power, Your saving power towards Your people. Help us to now take these things and live in the joy of them this week. We pray this in Jesus' name.